0: The biggest difference we noticed when adding this interactive demo to the website was not necessarily like a huge increase of conversions. We definitely did see more people interacting with it, adding on, but the biggest thing is actually the quality because they understood the product now. Once they saw Mm -hmm. that this is what the product is and I could walk through it and understand it very quickly, we saw that like basically 50% of anyone who takes a meeting, so who comes, takes a meeting from that interactive demo then turns into an opportunity, so it's qualified. And I think mm-hmm. that is the best value of these interactive demos and why we want it front and center on our website. So that first call, people go in and say, oh, I get what you do. I understand the product demo space. Really, I just need to know about these specific features.
1: You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H O P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Natalie Marco Tulio. Natalie is the Head of Growth and Operations at Nevadic, where she focuses on helping SaaS companies give their prospects a better buying experience. She has a background in SEO and digital marketing for B2B sales and marketing SaaS. Over the years, her focus has shifted to full funnel marketing, go-to-market strategy, and improving the digital buyer experience. Natalie, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Paris, thanks for having me.
1: It's great to have you here. We spoke a little bit pre-show about product-led growth. I think we were just scratching the surface. And this is a topic that comes up very often on this podcast. I'm a fan of product-led growth. And my understanding of product-led growth is probably narrower than yours. And my first question is, what does product-led growth mean for you and also for Novatic?
0: Yeah, I think for the longest time, the definition of product-led growth is really just, do you have a free trial or not? And I see across like all the thought leaders in the PLG space, everyone's kind of trying to expand out that definition because it's very limiting. It's just one point in the funnel where you could show your product. Well, I just think of product-led growth as how can you highlight your product in a way that, again, is educational and that is helpful, not just feature shoving, but throughout the entire funnel. How can you make it easy for customers to get hands-on, to experience it, and not just using like overly fluffy or jargony language, really showing and highlighting your product?
1: mm-hmm Tell us a little bit about what Novatic does. What's the main value proposition here?
0: We have actually an interactive demo embedded on our website and that's what mm-hmm. we do. So we call it like try before you buy experiences for software and basically what that means is that you can just walk through software yourself from a website, from an email from a link rather than necessarily having to do like a free trial or hopping on a call it's sort of giving you a little taste of what the product is like. So if you actually mm-hmm. hit try it now you'll see this is it's very meta it took me a while to figure out how to properly show this but it is actually an interactive demo of an interactive demo platform which is nevatic
1: demo of a demo yeah
0: yeah you can kind of walk through and experience what it's like to use the product you have those little tool tips and modals calling it out Um, so as Mm -hmm. a user if i'm evaluating or looking at software i can just quickly understand what it does and some of the main mm-hmm. aha moments, features, rather than just the casting screenshots or text about it.
1: Mm-hmm. This is really cool. I don't want to get lost here, but it's a demo of a demo. And I think I'm starting to understand now why you all have expanded the definition of product-led growth, because it sounds like people, some people still want to get a demo. The classic B2B SaaS website typically has two different motions, a product-led growth motion where it's freemium or free trial and you sign up with your Gmail account or your email and you're into the product and you can start playing around. And you might be in freemium no man's land forever, which is probably the majority of those freemiums. Then the other path is to talk to sales or get a demo. And what you're doing is leveraging the demo experience because a lot of people still like to have a demo, but then allowing them to go product-led growth on the heels of the automated demo. Is that right?
0: Yeah. We almost sometimes call this like PLG light or first steps into PLG, right? You don't need an entire engineering team to build out a free trial or freemium model. You don't have to worry about educating your free trialers and nurturing them because the data is all set up. It's all there. You're showing them those best moments Mm -hmm. rather than them having to figure it out for themselves.
1: And what would you say to certain B2B SaaS in particular, more mid-market or enterprise that would say well our product simply can't conform to this we're not able to do such a simplified demo everything is very customized we need to get every prospect on a call and walk through their individual use case what would you say to folks like that
0: i think the most important thing to remember about these interactive demos is they're not supposed to replace that highly customized call and we're a very big fan mm-hmm. of the highly customized personalized call What this is replacing is that like harbor tour, that first demo, that feature overview that kind of is you need to have, but really you'd rather dive Mm -hmm. into the details. So if you can just give your prospects a little taste of what your product is like, not the whole thing, just so they have some sort of understanding going into the call, what you do, then it actually enables you better to go into those really highly personalized custom setup
1: demo environments. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I understand that you were involved in redesigning This website, the current website, is that right?
0: Yeah, that adding that interactive demo, it's something I've been Mm -hmm. experimenting for a little while with, iterating different versions, because as I mentioned, it has been a little difficult to show an interactive demo of an interactive demo platform. We purposely Mm -hmm. chose Google Analytics, trying to find something that would relate to marketers, and they'd understand like, hey, this isn't Nevada, because... We've had in the past, we used like an example platform and people thought that platform was Novatic. So we realized like, no, we have to show something that is very clearly not to try to explain like what it's like to build a demo.
1: Yeah. Well, I think choosing Google Analytics is a really safe way to go there because no one who's going to mistake that for Novatic. But wow. Yeah, this is also meta. And because now we're going to, I'm going to ask another meta style question, and this is not the former Facebook meta here we're talking about. So and it's the, the answer is in Google Analytics. My question is, when you redesign that site and you now are really leading with this interactive demo of a demo builder, what did that do to engagement and conversion rate? So what I'd like to know is of all the people that now visit your website, how many people are interacting with that interactive demo and how many of those people are then initiating a trial and taking the next step in the PLG motion?
0: I talked about this a little before, but the biggest difference we noticed when adding this interactive demo to the website was not necessarily like a huge increase of conversions. We definitely did see more people interacting with it, adding on. But the biggest thing is actually the quality because they understood the product now. Once they saw Mm -hmm. that this is what the product is and I could walk through it and understand it very quickly, we saw that like basically 50% of anyone who takes a meeting So who comes, takes a meeting from that interactive demo, then turns into an opportunity. So it's qualified. And I think Mm -hmm. that is the best value of these interactive demos and why we want it front and center on our website. So that first call, people go in and say like, and I I listen to our company sales calls all the time. And I hear a lot like, no, I get what you do. I understand the product demo space. Really, I just need to know about these specific features.
1: Mm -hmm. So 50% conversion rate from people that are booking a demo with sales, 50% of those people go on to be opportunities. Yeah. Okay. So you, do you define that as a SQL or an MQL?
0: We technically go straight from MQL to opportunity. So I guess okay. you could say we have kind of a shortened sales cycle. I'm also, mm-hmm. maybe a lot of marketers might not love this, but I'm not too obsessed with having a bunch of stages in my funnel. I am mostly just focus on how many people are booking meetings and then how many those turn into opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, the simpler, the better. Is this... Applicable, I can certainly see the applications for SaaS. Is this applicable for any other industries outside of software? We,
0: we have seen some industries apply it. And to clarify, you do need software to build an interactive demo. So interactive demos mm-hmm. are basically HTML front end copies of your product. So you need a SaaS mm-hmm. platform to build one. However, we have seen that any company that has a SaaS or any sort of software product can benefit, but really our main core is SaaS.
1: Mm-hmm. So the 50%, that's really impressive to be an opportunity. And then how many of those opportunities are closed in one, ultimately?
0: Similar, about like 40 to 50%. Obviously ebbs and flows depending on quarters, Mm -hmm. months, all that.
1: And well, so where are you getting most of your traffic from now into the site? We
0: are doing some paid and we have experimented Mm -hmm. sending them right to the demo, right to our homepage that has it. But really, we found a little more with like our main channels being SEO one. And then Uh also just a little bit of natural virality and word of mouth. What's really nice Mm -hmm. about these is they live on websites. You could see them. So when you go to a website, Mm -hmm. if you have a good experience with it, then you might say, you know, I want that for my SaaS product.
1: So do you have a little built by Novatic badge on these demos so that they get embedded in other sites for the freemium Yeah, we have
0: a little powered by Novatic.
1: Yeah, well that's, I think there's a sliver of of product-led growth that benefits from that kind of virality. It's a built-in virality really. I think of products like Fireflies, where when you have to introduce Fireflies on every call, hey, I have a transcription bot here. Are you okay with that? Usually half the time, the next question is, oh, that sounds cool. What is that? And then I sell them Fireflies. But there's a natural virality built in. So if somebody likes the demo and they think, this looks cool, powered by Novatic, maybe I could have one of these on my site because it's mostly it's SaaS selling to SaaS. And I think everybody needs this. I mean, really... um, there are probably not many good excuses why a B2B SaaS company shouldn't have an interactive demo. And most of them still don't, I guess.
0: For us, we think of it like it depends how complex your product is, right? If you're something as simple as Slack or as simple as Notion, it might just be easier to mm-hmm. send people right to your free trial and have them start. Mm-hmm. But if you're a little more complex, if you have multiple different use cases that you want to highlight, different features, mm-hmm. if you different personas you sell into, that's where adding on these interactive demos as a first step can really be that educational content. And again, not replacing the free trial. We actually have plenty of our customers who use interactive demos and a free trial and use at the end of this free interactive demo, we'll have a CTA to a free trial.
1: Yeah. Got it. It seems like such a low barrier to entry for a site visitor because I mean, most people we always have recommended for years to for companies, not only SaaS, but all sorts of companies to invest in video and put a nice video above the fold on the homepage because most users, and it's been this way for a while, I think when you first hit a website, if there's a two minute video and you can click and lean back and get a quick overview of what you've just landed on, it's usually preferable. And I'm surprised more companies still don't do that. So what kind of penetration do you have into B2B SaaS? How many customers do you currently have?
0: Yeah, right now we have about 300 customers and each customer mm-hmm. I think has on average around like six or seven demos deployed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So a lot of, a good yeah. amount of customers, not just using it for that one website use case, but kind of penetrating it throughout their blogs and email content and sales enablement and customer enablement. Uh, yeah. What's really cool is seeing all the different ways our customers actually think up ways to use these interactive demos.
1: So I guess the first use case would be to have different demos for different personas, right? Because there there are different ways to use the product and you want to showcase it, in different roles in an organization or different personas. Is that how people can generate multiple demos?
0: Exactly. And we have two main ways that customers do that. We do have a checklist feature. So... If you want to go and see, okay, I only care about this part of the product. What you can do is Mm -hmm. just check that little checklist and dive into, let's say, for example, our customer ramp has one and you can dive right into their accounting section. We also have some customers. This has been a really organic use case. that has been really cool to watch build out like customer demo libraries. So they'll Mm -hmm. have a website with maybe like nine, 10 demos embedded. And you can just Mm -hmm. go feature by feature or use case by use case and do a quick little, let's say like 10 to 15 step demo rather than one long demo.
1: Yeah. I caught a recent podcast that you were on and you talked about this. There was a theme, which was how to go PLG in seven days. That certainly got my attention because I think a lot of companies that have the opportunity to go PLG, they're traditionally sales led they see it as such a daunting task. that's going to take so long not willing to put the resources towards it. You laid out a blueprint for getting there in seven days. Can you walk us through that a little bit? So
0: just to clarify, by PLG, we do mean these interactive demos. Of course, it's a little bit of a catchy title for a podcast, but we actually have had customers Mm. deploy these in seven days. They're entirely Mm. no code. So unlike a free trial or freemium, where you do have to get your engineering team involved, you have to change your entire go-to-market strategy. You've got to change, support, and educate the sales and CS team. This is just mm-hmm. something marketing can entirely deploy and own by themselves since it is no code. It generally takes maybe 30 minutes to an hour to build one of these. What we say mm-hmm. is some of the hardest parts is just figuring out what you want to show and getting internal approval. Once you've done that, all you need to do is add a little bit of like iframe embed or link out onto your website, and then it's there.
1: Yeah. Now, the world of SaaS is massive. So you've got you said about 300 customers but maybe there's 30,000 SaaS companies. So you've got an ocean of prospects out there. How do you think about how to segment that opportunity? Uh, are there particular industries Are there particular sizes of companies that are really the best fit? And how do you think about uh, segmenting your ICP, the ICP landscape?
0: The way we think about it is kind of what I was saying before of that Slack example. It is products that are a little more complex or take seeing the product to understand it. So some industries like, FinTech and um, security. Like, oftentimes, Mm -hmm. security software, you kind of understand what it does, but it's not until you see it that you're like, oh, that's what preventing phishing attack means. Now I understand it before it was more of an abstract concept. And also, Mm -hmm. both of those industries as well, if they were to go fully PLG, it requires a decent amount of setup to see value. That's where we really see the Mm -hmm. sweet spot. So, like, anything Mm -hmm. that requires importing integrations, something that's just not something you can get set up quickly, Mm -hmm. those types of industries and products really benefit from it. The user doesn't have to do any setup. And if I'm a company like, again, finance, like Ramp, for example, to do a free trial, I have to enter in my bank account information. I might not be Mm -hmm. fully comfortable with that just first visiting the website. So this lets me get Mm -hmm. a little comfortable with the product, understand what it does, and then I might be ready to do, let's say, a free trial. Mm -hmm. You asked about like sides. I'd say that kind of goes hand in hand with a little bit mid-market, larger companies are the ones that generally have more product features, more mm-hmm. use cases, more personas, and they get the most value out of having multiple interactive demos.
1: Okay, yeah. And it sounds like most of the marketing now is inbound related. There's a little bit of pay, there's organic SEO, content marketing. There's that referral-based traffic from the virality, I think, naturally built into the product. But if you've got that ICP shaped out, do you all also do outbound? And do you proactively go after certain companies with a, either account-based marketing or an outbound approach?
0: We are about 90% inbound at this point, but we do a tiny bit outbound. And I think for us, again, those really great fit companies where we know similar companies in the industries, or we understand that, you know, they are a big PLG player in the space. They want to know what the kind of latest trends and things that other players in the space are doing, but we are Mm -hmm. predominantly inbound.
1: And I'm also interested in this, the concept of time to value for you all. Is there anything that you can measure when someone initiates a trial is there any event that really triggers that they've achieved this time to value? It? Maybe not having built or completed the first demo, but doing something that really indicates deep engagement that can predict strongly that they will—they're on their way to building their first demo and being a long-term high LTV customer.
0: Yeah, one, and one thing to clarify is we we are right now we have like a mix of a little bit of self-serve and sales-led, mm-hmm. but we're sort of working our way slowly to more of that like self-serve. Kind of more on your own. So we can measure right now when customers, when we're engaging with them, when we're helping with onboarding, go from setting up to actually getting it live on their website. I'd say mm-hmm. that main measure point for us, like when we measure time to live, and when I talk about those two week to two week points, that is generally time on their website. But even mm-hmm. before that, the first step in creating any of these interactive demos is I always call it like fancy screenshots, but you're taking a capture of your actual application. Um, that's the yeah. scraping, the HTML and CSS. It's not actually just a screenshot, but just for non-technical folk like myself, I'd say fancy screenshots. And mm-hmm. that point is sort of the basis needed to create an interactive demo. So that could be our first point for us. If we see, especially in more of a self-serve motion, if they haven't created a mm-hmm. capture yet, that's when we'd reach out and say, you know, this is step number one.
1: Okay. How quickly can that happen, that capture, a screen capture after the initial sign up.
0: A minute. I mean, all they, I guess it depends how long it takes for them to download a Chrome extension, but that's really Mm -hmm. the only step it's download a Chrome extension and then pressing a button. Basically the same as taking a screenshot.
1: Yeah. We're doing some work around predictive LTV and with SAS, a lot of the strongest predictors are. These different user engagement behavioral signals from product usage in the first, even in the first 24 hours or 48 hours, they can be really strong at predicting low churn, high lifetime value. And then you can refocus Google's bidding towards those events instead of simply the trial acquisitions. Because with a lot of SaaS, I think trial acquisitions, there's still tons of waste. There will be lots of trials that don't convert to paid, or if it's freemium, you know, the, the no man's land, you know, there'll, be, there'll be a no paying man's land forever. But I would think about that time to value first screenshot of, I don't know, converting it into a conversion event, devising it, so you're feeding it to Google with a value and doing value-based bidding. And it would start by probably seeing how many people who take the first screenshot within 24 hours... We'll then produce the first full demo within a certain number of days and then become a paying customer after X timeframe. And then you can trace it all back and you can put a value, actually put a value, a dollar value on the screenshot, and then you've got the conversion. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot, online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Anyway, I think I was rambling there too much, but I want to hear more about some of the organic stuff that you all are doing also. Are you managing a content marketing team there?
0: Yeah. And first off, not rambling. You just gave me ideas for a new <laughs> ad campaign, yeah. for a new strategy. I'm, I'm going to start uh, working on that after this call. But we, do, we have a freelance content team, so I'm the one coming up with the ideas, doing the revisions, keyword research, all that. But we do mm-hmm. have help, so it's not just me producing all of the content.
1: Yeah. Do you all have a strict editorial calendar or is it a little more based on opportunistic approach?
0: I found with LinkedIn, it's much harder now to have an editorial calendar. I used to in past mm-hmm. times schedule out my socials, schedule out all of my blog posts, all the content. You can do that mm-hmm. like weeks or months in advance. But mm-hmm. now with LinkedIn, things come out that you want to react to, that you want to add on to, that you want to be a little more agile. So mm-hmm. I do have a content calendar that I plan monthly. But I find almost daily me switching things around or prioritizing this or posting something on the fly. And it's sort of a double-edged sword. I feel a lot more connected. It feels more human to be doing it a little more on the fly. But on the flip side, there are definitely days where I'm like, I just spent way too long on LinkedIn. I have a lot of other things to do.
1: Yeah. LinkedIn can really suck you in now. And I even think now that the whole epicenter of content marketing has shifted from blogs to LinkedIn for B2B marketing. And I don't know, years past, we would ask people in interviews, well, what blogs do you read to keep up with the industry? And now that even seems like a dated question. And now we would ask more like, well, who, who are you following on LinkedIn? Basically, either which people, which companies or groups you're a part of on LinkedIn. Do you see things that way? Do you think that more people are now keeping up with their industry and keeping up with the self-education simply in LinkedIn without having to go out and read a lot of blog posts?
0: I do think so and it's funny I didn't even think about that shift until you said it and you're so right I used to recommend people blogs and now I almost never recommend entire blogs I recommend certain people to follow that yeah. does worry me a little bit though cuz we know blogs are generally longer content form they've been reviewed they've been edited one thing I yeah. keep seeing on LinkedIn is it we're getting more and more incentivized by the algorithm to post things that are cashy to post things that will create a little bit of controversy so at some mm-hmm. point are we moving away from you know, editorial, like highly vetted content to just things that mm-hmm. are going to catch our eye. Like we kind of see it mm-hmm. in the B2B consumer sense. I do get a little worried with LinkedIn that almost like the Facebook vacation of LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, that would be scary. I mean, if I was thinking Twitter, which, which is even worse. I mean, let's all pray that, that LinkedIn doesn't turn into Twitter. I think what LinkedIn has done smartly is they've kept that organic reach window open quite long. And I think we all remember the, or the days when Facebook, when you could actually reach your Facebook fans without having to pay and advertise to them. And there was an organic reach window and Instagram had that window and that also closed. Now it's TikTok and LinkedIn that I think they have that organic reach window. And I think LinkedIn is doing that purposefully to really try to keep the content quality high. And I think they counter that with having very expensive advertising, which so they don't, I think Facebook, there was pressure to shift. That to, to shut down that organic reach and force, force those people to pay for ads. Part of that, well, I mean, investor pressure for revenue, but the ads were cheap too. But LinkedIn started with very high ad prices. Minimum CPCs on LinkedIn, I think, like five dollars an hour or something, or, or more, and they can go way up from there if you do any LinkedIn ads. So if you keep the ad prices really, really high and you get expensive to get your content to these audiences but you still keep the organic window open, then you do incentivize people to focus on high quality content because they can still see the return on that investment organically. And it'll be interesting to see where it goes next. And I've also noticed that on LinkedIn, there are almost mini blog posts now in the feed. The posts are getting really long and those seem to be doing better, at least in my feed. The stuff that bubbles up in my feed, the average length is getting longer and longer and the stuff that's getting all the, the likes and the comments. So, I think now even there's an argument that you can substitute, you can take a, a 1500 word blog post and distill it into a 500 word LinkedIn post and still capture 90% of the essence of it and get tons more reach by doing it that way. And I'm, I'm wondering also if content marketing, also as a, a strategy, should be shifting more into LinkedIn for B2B.
0: I think it kind of plays along with Google's most recent algorithm update, like the helpful content mm-hmm. update, where basically they said stop writing for bots and start writing for people, which yeah. well, that's, I always find it a little funny because like Google, you're the one who made us write like this. It wasn't like people naturally yeah. wanted to keyword stuff. But in some it's ways, true. like the LinkedIn content is very written for people. It is often more, it has data, it has content, but it is talking like a person to person. And I wonder if everyone just mm-hmm. got so sick of the mm-hmm. Google content that was clearly repurposed from other blogs, very written for a robot and not a person, that that's how Mm -hmm. LinkedIn was able to really take over and kind of, you're right, like become a blogging platform. Because I see that all the time too. It's Even for myself, I I think about when I publish content, I know that the content itself will do so well, but what I really get the juice is from LinkedIn. I'm more Mm -hmm. focused on the post than the actual content sometimes. Obviously it needs to be good content for the post to be good, but as far as the promotion strategy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And LinkedIn, they were promoting LinkedIn articles for a while and have other things, but the classic LinkedIn post is what works best, I think. That's interesting. How, do you all do LinkedIn ads? I've is done them in the past mix? companies. Uh-huh.
0: It's What's interesting is we've actually been hearing some of our customers talking about using LinkedIn ads and talking about from going from basically like a lead gen to a demand gen approach with LinkedIn ads, which yeah. I've always thought about LinkedIn ads sort of that way, but never phrased it in such like an eloquent way that they phrased it. But Mm -hmm. I think in the past, like I've always tried LinkedIn ads, but you get almost no conversions. So you go and you report it to leadership and then they say, well, why are we paying so much money for something that doesn't convert? Mm -hmm. But you don't realize that it is, should just be a purely educational content. Like LinkedIn doesn't want you to leave LinkedIn. People don't, when they're on LinkedIn, no one's in the mood to take a demo. (laughs) No one's looking to read it necessarily read a really big ebook. They just want to be, in some ways it is a little bit of informative, but also entertained. Like, we go to LinkedIn yeah. to be slightly entertained because it is more interesting than doing our job at times. And I will fully admit that I do that. At times.
1: How about lots of the time? Yeah.
0: Most of the time. But yeah. I think it's really smart. The shift, it was our customer cognicism posted about this, how they're, they're moving from thinking of ads and LinkedIn ads as legion to really just how do we educate and how do we just get our name out there? How do we mm-hmm. just let people know we exist or why be valuable, maybe in an entertaining or interesting way? And they experimented with some of like the product tour CTAs to see if people were maybe less likely to, again, want to go straight to a demo or straight to fill out a form. But if they'd Mm -hmm. be like, okay, you know, I'll see what your product does. And I really love that shift in mindset because it plays better to Mm -hmm. the LinkedIn algorithm and the LinkedIn just channel as a place to teach people rather than feeling like it's a loss if you didn't convert them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think one of the challenges of justifying LinkedIn ad spend now is that when it doesn't hold, when it doesn't perform, meaning when it doesn't deliver leads, it gets shut down. But how did, how then do you measure if you want to say, "All right, we're going to treat this as a demand gen channel now"? How do you measure that? Try to quantify some sort of a ROI against that. I think that's where it gets challenging. You're opening up the top of the funnel. You're generating future pipeline, but those conversions may show up later in search or who knows, branded search too. I I tell a lot of people, keep an eye on your branded search volume. And if that's going up, if you're investing a lot in demand gen, and you're putting a lot of effort on LinkedIn education, then you ought to to notice that more people are searching for your brand on Google. And you may not attribute, if people search for your brand and then convert, you may attribute that to non-paid or organic or whatever. But think about how are those people becoming aware of your brand in the first place to go to Google and search? And I think that's one KPI, but it's still hard to put ROI on that. And the knee-jerk reaction that I hear so much is that, oh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is too expensive.
0: I think organic traffic is actually one of the best ways to measure other campaigns, which sounds Mm -hmm. kind of crazy, but even the number of leads that come in, that could be so fluctuating on if it's a busy week, if it, you know, if you change something on your website, if you change pricing, like all that stuff could affect the number of leads that come in. But how many people just organically and just filter out organic traffic going to your website. Mm-hmm. I found so often a successful campaign that might not immediately lead to leads, but down the line, we see bring in some real ROI. The first indicator yeah. was that organic traffic going up.
1: Yeah. Right. And so the inbound engine seems to be working for you all. Paid probably works. There's a big opportunity, I guess, to, to grow that over time. And then you've got this viral, natural virality. Is there a way that you all are measuring that viral aspect about how many people are coming in through the virality, either clicking on the powered by link or something like that?
0: Yeah, we have two ways, as you mentioned. One is the simple attribution, clicking on powered by. But obviously, Mm -hmm. as we know, people don't always convert in the nice line that you want them to. And the second way is we're doing, I feel like, the very trendy, how did you hear about us? But for us, at least, it's working really well. People will say, Mm -hmm. I saw you on RAMP's website on mixed panels." they'll directly give attribution. And I think it's because partly we're lucky we sell the marketers. So marketers understand the power of attribution yeah. and will generally tell us where they came from. And that's been yeah. really cool to see as well as like, we're measuring just word of mouth. For us, that's been really important to figure out, You know, is this achieving some natural virality? And people will put sometimes word of mouth from a colleague, from a friend. And rather than being annoyed by that, like that gets me so excited. Yes, it's not as detailed, but it does mean that what we're doing is generally working if people are talking about it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Where do you all sit in the competitive landscape? Uh, you, let's say I haven't checked G2, but where are you all in, in your category uh, in the competitive landscape?
0: this was actually a pretty big initiative for us the i guess this past year and one thing we've really focused on is we realized with these interactive demos if we're talking about you know going plg in seven days and all that that'd be really easy and sort of delightful to use i think mm-hmm. the part of the reason you'd use this over something like a video over a free trial is because it's a lengthy extended process where you mm-hmm. have to get a lot of different members involved so all that being said, we really wanted to focus on delightful experience and on happy customers this past year. And with that, a G2 campaign. So I was super excited. We really prioritized, like, let's go after really high quality, real reviews, not doing the, like, give us $15 or we'll give you $15 gift card or whatever to write us a review. And we mm-hmm. saw that pay off we're now a leader in the category and of the the category G2's placed us in is pre sale software, which isn't exactly mm-hmm. accurate, but it's a newer category. We know it takes time for G2 to figure it out. Yeah. But of the other interactive demo players, we're the highest right now. And really we have to thank our customers for that, for putting the time to write those really high quality, longer reviews rather than us just focusing on like, how do we incentivize as many people as possible?
1: Yeah. Do you think some people could, see an alternative of simply doing screen capture videos using something like Loom as an alternative? And do you feel that that's something that you'll have to defend against? That's
0: definitely been a question coming up more and more is us versus product videos. And we have some early data with customers, some that should be coming out shortly, but can't fully share around the engagement rates of us versus product videos. Or we mm-hmm. talked about before free trials, yeah. having their free trialers be more activated and engaged because they went through these interactive demos first versus a product mm. video. And yeah. what we say to customers and what we've seen is if you have a question, try A-B testing it. We have had some customers recently try like A-B testing using Google Optimize or Mutiny. And it's really easy just replacing a snippet code. And you can see for yourself if customers are more into the video or the demo. I think one mm-hmm. advantage that we have is just that it's newer, right? Like everyone kind of tunes out things that they've seen a lot. So they might tune out, especially if it looks like a long video, they might just be like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna engage with that. Versus they might be like, oh, this is new. What's an interactive demo? How do I use this? And just kind of piques their curiosity.
1: Absolutely. And my next thought was email nurture sequences too. If you want to come in with an email nurture sequence, that's really spot on. So if you, let's say you got to step three out of five in the interactive demo, but for some reason that's where you dropped off. And so the email copy that would come five minutes later, I guess, I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, you can speak to exactly where you dropped off, but you can't really do that if somebody drops off midway through a video. I guess you could, but I mean, I think that it, it empowers your email sequencing to be much more specific. Do you all do that, by the way? Do you have Do you have nurture sequences that try to recapture people that either got through the interactive demo, didn't sign up or dropped out at some point in the demo?
0: We have experimented with that when we did have the demo gated. Right okay. now, of course, like HubSpot can only identify who the person is, if you mm-hmm. put a form and we're a little, we've seen better just overall conversions ungating it for ourselves. Yeah. That being said, we want to think about ways and work on ways in product that if it is ungated, how could you still maybe combine with other enrichment platforms to identify that yeah. user and do those sequences. But we haven't right, seen plenty right. of customers creating those nurture campaigns or following up. Yeah. If you only make it so far, you know, did you want to explore some other demos or something else mm-hmm. you'd be interested in?
1: Yeah. I think the big trade-off there of gated versus ungated. So gated means you have the email that un- that unlocks email marketing nurture sequences, but ungated means a lot more people are going to go through it. So you get more, you're going to get a, a bigger group of prospects, but then you're limited to pretty much to remarketing ads, I guess, because you don't have the email, but you can take the same message and say, all right, Natalie, you were almost there. You got the step four. There was only one more step and this is what you missed. Come on back in and We'll put you right back in at step five, but you'll have to only do that with a remarketing. And I think the analysis is really what's the conversion rate of re-engagement with email plus remarketing when you gate, but then you'll have a smaller audience because a lot of people don't want to give up their email. I think especially now it's less and less likely to give up an email to go through an interactive demo and versus the other scenario where you have a lot more prospects, but you're losing the email channel and you've got to see how many people you can recapture with remarketing ads. Generally speaking, I really, I think the the gated content and stuff, those days are really coming to an end. I don't think users like that too much.
0: And we have seen some companies where they'll ungate, like, let's say the first five to 10 steps and then add in Mm -hmm. a form or something. So there are ways you can play around with it where you could still have an ability to nurture I think when our customers ask us gated versus ungated my main thing is what's your goal right if your number one goal is you need more people going into your product let's say you need more data let's say you need you've seen that email nurturing retargeting has been really successful for you then gate it again maybe give them a little upfront then gate it but that's Mm -hmm. fine if your goal is lead gen but if your goal that flip side is more education like you want to make sure that prospects are more qualified going into your sales calls And generally, we recommend ungating. It's sort of the, do you want more or less? (laughs) And depending on the company and the size, they can have different goals.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it, really. I mean, do you want more or less? And you can get creative too, By you don't have to gate right at the beginning. You can gate somewhere along the way. And I guess the more people start to engage and psychologically become sort of committed, then if you ask for an email address, then I think it's more likely that they'll go ahead with it because you've given them some value already. Well, this has been great, Natalie. So much more I want to ask, but I think we're we're running out of time now and probably you have to get back to your real job at some point. Was there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you? Or is there anything else that you think is worth sharing that that can benefit our audience?
0: Nothing on the top of my head, but if anyone does have further questions around interactive demos, want to see some examples, all that, obviously feel free to reach out. Or just want to talk in general about like improving buyer experience that's been one thing that i've been really excited about with working with nevatic is how can we make it easier simpler for customers it's still something that we're improving on and there are still things we can do to be better at but Mm -hmm. i would love to talk to any marketer around that topic because i've been a buyer i was a buyer at my past company of plenty of software and it drove me mad most of the time so i'm on a personal mission along with nevatic's mission to make it a little easier
1: yeah Natalie, where is the best place to find and connect with you online?
0: I guess just LinkedIn, as we talked about, it's taken over.
1: Yep. Great. Well, thanks very much, Natalie. And I really enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to hopefully having you back on at some point. And I wish you all the best.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Paris. It's a lot of fun.
1: Great. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P.online. Have a great day.